Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey, it's Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespers, and we're going to talk to an actual human being on today's show, so that's exciting besides me. Although, I'm not, at times, I'm not sure that I'm not an android. It's possible. Do I have, am I a sentient droid of some kind? I actually, I didn't really like Westworld. Although that's what popped into my head while I was talking about that. Uh, guessing most of you have already followed me on Twitter. If you haven't, it's at Dan Bespris. This sports ethos at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. We also have Ethos Fantasy BB for baseball, Ethos Fantasy FB for football. You can go check those out as well. You guys know the drill, although we're going to change up the order a little bit today. We'll do a lesson learned with a special guest, and then. We'll dive into some of the playoff stuff coming up tonight. Show here coming out in the afternoon, so I want to jump into it quickly, give as many of you as possible a chance to actually hear the playoff breakdown for tonight. I uh, had some stuff pop up again on the personal side, but at least I managed to do the guest segment before it did. So apologies on the late release today. Let's dive right into the mix. I've been saying it for about three weeks that I would finally talk to another actual living human being and not just like me doing a voice and pretending to be two different people. And damn it, I've finally done it. And it's a first timer. It's an exciting moment. John Mosales, welcome to the pod, my man. You write for us right here at Sports Ethos. And you've got some lessons learned that we're going to be covering. But first and foremost, hello. How are you? Hey, Dan, uh, doing great. You know, we were mid to the playoffs, best time of year. You know, you really can't beat it. So, you know, what's funny is that I, <laughs> I don't want to be like, like we, I want us to talk about fantasy stuff, so I don't want to get waylaid too far. But I actually feel kind of pooped out by the time I get to the playoffs, the real life playoffs, because of all the fantasy stuff that goes on. You don't have that that burnout right now. I'm like, I'm cooked on on watching actual basketball games and the playoffs, there's like so many days in between each game that they play. Yeah. That's why I love the, the fantasy season, especially one of my lessons. If you are uh, ending the season earlier, I love that two, three week buffer in the silly season when I can just totally gear down. I don't watch any ball. I try not to think about it. And then I got a full tank again for the playoffs. So you mostly play head to head then. Yeah. I love head to head. Um, I find rotisserie just if I, you know, mid December, it's just, there's no point in looking at it every day. You don't How dare you? How dare you, sir? How dare <laughs> you? <laughs> uh, by the way, you guys can follow John on Twitter at John Mosales. Uh, J-O-N-M-O-S-A-L-E-S. John Mosales on Twitter. Uh, and I'll drop that for you guys again before the show is over. But here's the nice part. I was reading your, and this is for Fantasy Pass subscribers only, but we'll we'll preview it. We'll talk a bit about it here on the pod. And I do want people to go stay on or get the fantasy pass if they've let it lapse here during the the off season. Uh, but all the writers at Sports Ethos are going through key lessons learned from a season gone by. I've done a number of those shows here, and I, I gravitated towards yours, and I think it's pretty obvious why once people are here or a few of them are, but I thought you and I saw eye to eye on some things, and I thought maybe we could kind of break them down together. So, John... Throwing you right here into the... It's not a hot seat. It's just kind of warm here in the off season. I'm throwing you in the warm seat. What are or what is 
your top lesson learned from a season gone by. We can kind of break it down and what we can do with it going into next year. I mean, yeah, there's so many lessons learned like every year, right? Hindsight 2020. Um, but for me, it's just health, 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 like buying a property, location, location, location. Um, you know, I had, I, I had Paul George in one league. So, I mean, the season was over. Um, so I really tried to just try and reevaluate, go back to basics and, you know, uh, I like to say you can't lose. Wait, you can't lose a fantasy season on draft night, but you can win it. So when you, so okay, so I, I want to try to think of a different way of asking it because I've talked a, a bit about this, and I don't want people to just hear my thoughts on it. How do you draft for health? Because it's pretty hard, and I'll play a little devil, devil's advocate here because I think everybody knows where I stand on this. I stand firmly with you in the. Like, you can detonate your team if you get a guy who misses half a season in the first or second round, where if you take someone who's, like, just slightly behind their ADP at the end of the season but played most of the year, then great. You can win your league with pickups. You can win your league with shrewd decision-making, with good fourth, fifth, sixth-round picks, whatever. But to play devil's advocate, I've heard a lot of analysts say, okay, well, trying to figure out who's going to be healthy is a fool's errand, because different guys are injured every year. Is that actually true? I mean, especially now, right? It's kind of the new normal where, you know, your first round player is going to play, you know, 60 games at 82. But like my favorite thing to say is like, I wish I had just been a Jokic guy for like my whole life. And I just, <laughs> every year I get Jokic in, you know, in auction, pay whatever it takes, take them first overall in snake. And I mean, I'd have endless more fantasy titles. Is there a way to figure out generally who might be healthy during a season i i there there's some trends right yeah i liked it in my article i i look back um you know maybe go back over the last four years and if a guy's missed significant time in you know two of the four seasons it's just it's a big x for me right like kevin durant's a great example might be the best player in the league but you know he had his achilles and then he and he's had two mcl sprains he's only getting older and it's just, why would you ever want to take him, you know, fifth overall or pay 55 bucks? And it's like, you know, maybe best case scenario, you're getting 55 games out of him. So then looking towards next year, and this is hard because it's the beginning of the offseason still. It's May. We have a long way to go. Are there guys that you have changed your opinion on based on what you saw this season? Or do you feel like some of the stuff was kind of an outlier? Who are your... I've, I'm packing a lot of questions into one long rambling speech here, but who are the guys then you'd feel comfortable with in the first round, in the second round, things like that. So you're not taking those massive risks on your fantasy team. Yeah. I mean, it's besides so Jokic, sorry, besides yeah, Jokic. Yeah. yeah uh, I'm a big towns guy too, right? Towns went what four or five years without barely ever missing a game. Uh, Dame Lillard, same thing. Although last year, you know, was probably the first time he's had a serious injury. Um, my, my, my rule, I like to call like, like the McCall bridges rule, right? He's never missed a game college or in professional career. He's ranked 50th last year, you know? So it's like, would you rather have LeBron James next year or McCall bridges? That's a really hard question. Who would you rather have? <laughs> I'm going to take the health every time, you know, wow. even, yeah, I know it's probably crazy, right? Braun pretty much led the league in scoring the second best player of all time. But uh, give me the guy who's playing in late March, almost guaranteed over anything else. You know, what's really remarkable is that if you if you really pare it down and you're a head to head guy. So this is, I think, part of where that 
uh, that cut fall. By the way, you tried to slip a massive hot take right into the middle of the show, and and you had to know I was going <laughs> to glom onto it. Um, LeBron finished by totals at number 16. Bridges was number 24. So they were actually both second-round picks this last year by totals, even though on a per-game basis, Bron was, you know, three, three-and-a-half rounds ahead of him. So is does that then, that really comes down, it feels like, to needing the guy in head-to-head who's actually out there every day as opposed to what if LeBron's just going to miss my fantasy playoffs or three weeks in the middle of the year and I'm just wearing zeros your, how much does it help versus how much does it hurt? And that, I feel like, is is how you're ending up where you are. Is that accurate? Yeah, for sure. And that's the most ironic part with LeBron. He's probably, what, the healthiest player in NBA history, right? And only that first year with the Lakers, he had a serious injury and missed time. But now, for him, it's the new normal. I mean, I don't think he'll ever probably play over 65 games again. Um, what you know, If they're bad, they'll bench him. And if they're good, they're going to probably you know try and rest him for the playoffs. Do you think Mikel Bridges, I know this isn't the point of the podcast, but do you think Bridges can get potentially better than he's been? Not in the health department, but just as a basketball player? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he could get healthier unless maybe <laughs> he played with a team, then got traded, so ended up playing like 84 games in the season. Oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's got room to grow. I mean, you know, he's probably not going to be a 28-game you know, guy, but... He's just, he doesn't take anything off the table. Um, and, he, you know, he's always improving his game, like his little mid-range. Uh, if you could just add a little playmaking, that's probably the last step. What about Dame? I want to go back to Dame, because you mentioned him in one of your answers earlier as someone that had been healthy his entire career. He was the guy we always sort of set our watches to as a mid-first rounder that generally, by totals, overperformed because he played in around 90% of his team's games basically every season. Are you at all concerned because abdominal stuff is weird and Portland was tanking? What if they're not good again next year? Is that a red flag or is it too early to tell? Um, I think Dame's getting traded. I think that's almost like 100%. Wow. I mean, Portland's going to be bad. And one of the the things uh, I've really picked up on for next year, it's going to be a super lottery tanking year, right, with Prince Victor. Um, I'm going to be avoiding any team that's going to be finishing the lottery. Like Thunder, you're out. Magic, you're out. Uh, probably the Kings. Um, so I think Dame's kind of going to. They don't have any talent. They got to move him. He's kind of said he doesn't really want to go, but he'd be open to it. Um, so I probably, if Dame's on Portland next year, I probably wouldn't take him. Mm. But if he gets traded, 100%. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, segueing into one of your other points uh, from the article, which I did enjoy uh, yesterday. So very nice job yeah. there. Um, you talked about magic beans. What does that mean? <laughs> magic beans. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorite analogies, right, from the giant bean stock. Um Magic, I guess in that story, magic beans actually is worthwhile. But uh, I've, <laughs> good point. I, I've just always been the guy who's like, oh my god, uh, you know this guy. I remember the Kyrie's coming back around Christmas. I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna stash him. You know, two years ago, I'm like, oh, Triple J. He's gonna come back. He's gonna give me top twenty, but I only gotta pay fifteen bucks for him. You know, I'm gonna win my league, and I almost it's it's almost never worked. Almost, I, I can't even think of a, a situation like maybe clay thompson this year um but it's just you know this is one of the things too or those who can't do teach i'm incapable of not drafting injured players but i would very well encourage people to just to not do it it Avoid does it. become it becomes so 
so attractive, especially at the last minute on draft year. We're like, wow, this guy's like 10 slots farther than I thought he would go. But there's always, and by the way, I'll note, I think it's easier to remember the ones that work. Um, this year, it's probably Pascal Siakam, who was hurt to start the year. It wasn't a big one, but his actually worked. He was the one injured player this season that actually beat his ADP. The other like six or seven were way underneath it. What advice can you give? Because right now you're doing a do as I say, not as I do thing. So what advice can you give to keep people from falling in love with that idea of upside? Because it's really hard not to. Yeah, honestly, I'm not even sure. Um, a couple of the caveats I like to try to throw in, like if it's a lower body injury, he's out. Don't do it, right? Siakam was a shoulder. That's just more easily, you know, probably come back and maybe play not 100%. Um, but next year is probably the, the end all be all for injured guys, right? We got Kawhi coming back. We got MPJ. We got Jamal Murray, Zion, Ben Simmons. And like, I, I don't see a world in which I'm not going to be able to not draft Jonathan Isaac next year. <laughs> Do we actually think he's going to get to play again at some point ever. Oh, well, I don't know. But like, you know, say in an auction, you might get him for like 12 bucks. And he's got top 20 potential, you know? So it's like never never risk a top-round pick on an injured guy. But I do think there is a lot of value, you know, ninth, 10-round pick, getting a guy who's not going to be out more than two months, you know, if that's even possible. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that looking at next year, the, the list of injured guys coming back, there's like three or four of them that could be inside the top 20. Normally, you're not... Like, I'm trying to think back to this year. You mentioned Kyrie. He's a guy that that would be top 20 on a per-game basis, but there was so much of that in the air. Zion was never going to be top 20. Um, I don't know if people thought Kawhi was coming back this year or Jamal Murray. Kawhi would have been, but I don't think there was much of hope of him coming back before like the last two weeks anyway. Next year, you make a really good point there. This is such a massive haul of first or second round type of guys. Uh... We're going to have to wait and see, I guess. We'll get reports when the season's getting closer, but at that point, then you're, you're going to have to work hard not to take some of those dudes. I, I'm I'm interested more so because I think a lot of those guys are not expected to miss any time at the beginning of the season. That's a line I like to draw kind of in the sand with myself. If someone's going to miss games to start the year, to me, they're kind of a different monster than someone who had been hurt but is expected to play on day one. Do you also have that, or or do they fall into the same bucket for you? It's a different monster, but like take Kawhi, right? You got Kawhi off the ACL. You know he's not playing back-to-backs to start probably the whole season. Yeah, ever. You know, rest four, four out of five. You might get the same thing with Jamal Murray. Like MPJ, even if he's healthy, right? Is there really a difference between him healthy and not healthy with his, you know, the potential for his back? Um, you know, Zion, you know, who knows, is he going to be skinny, fat, healthy, right? So uh, just because a guy is going to miss time at the beginning doesn't mean he's not as much of an injury risk as a guy who's playing but coming off a major injury. You had two lessons left, but I only want to do one out of the two um, because your last one is is about more the the joy factor of fantasy basketball. So I think maybe we can talk about that in the middle of the offseason. Uh, your other lesson was on schedule, which as more of a roto guy is not something that I'm as attuned to. Um, but it is such a, a polarizing discussion on the head to head side, which is 
Do you pay attention to a team's playoff schedule? How much do you pay attention to it? I feel like most people probably pay too much attention or maybe too little. Like there's, and I think you made this point as well, that there's a middle ground there that people need to find as opposed to like, I'm only going to draft people who have 12 playoff games or I'm not going to touch anyone who only has nine playoff games because a lot can happen between October and, and March. Where do you stand on that one? I don't want to give your whole article away. Yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. Um, I used to be the most heavily dedicated playoff guy. I knew everyone, you know, was it a 4-3-4, 3-4-5, you know, 4-2, whatever. I knew it. This year, I didn't pay, even pay attention to it. I didn't know going into the draft. Um, and then it ended up working okay, but I kind of regretted it. Um, especially, you know, you see Utah has like a 4-4-4, you know. How great would it have been have to have Mitchell or Gobert? And then, and then Jokic and Denver has a 4-4-3. If I knew that, I would have, you know, done whatever it takes to get Jokic no matter what, right? If you can get a super stud who's also who's going to be healthy and have a great playoff schedule, I mean, I just that's just too good to turn down. Where do you where do you draw the line with how much is too much to pay attention to it? Um, if you just, I guess, your whole, you know, you shouldn't let that control your entire strategy too, right? Because it's just it's a it's a piece of the pie. It's not the whole pie. But there's just there's just outliers that you or you really just want to pay attention to. I find like uh, this year, if you had your playoffs, you know, start at week 21, uh, Cleveland had a five game finals. And so, like, you know, if you had Darius Garland, he played all five games. You get there. That's just pretty much a winning ticket. Um, but then you had like Celtics, right? They had a nine game. And it's just I know it's not only one game between the four and the three, but it really feels like when you got that three game guy, uh, it's he's never playing. And then you're always up against the stud with a four game. So it's again, it's probably one of those things where I, I probably pay attention to it too much, but um, it's <laughs> definitely okay. something you want to be aware of. Yeah, no doubt. Um, John, can we talk one more time this off season, at least maybe I should say at least one more time about your last lesson learned. And also when we get next year's schedule, we can talk a little bit about how that ties into what you're working on. Yeah, that'd be great. I also have a new draft, a new way to draft, a hybrid between snake and auction that I really want to uh, uh, unleash on the world. All right, we're de- we're debuting that later this off season. Now you you officially secured yourself an earlier spot coming back. <laughs> John, you can you can get out of the warm seat. I'm assuming you're probably still feeling fine. Uh, he is at John Most Sales M O S A L E S. John is just J O N. There's no H in there. Uh, you feeling okay after pod episode number one? You hanging in there? Yeah, I mean, now yeah, now that we're going, I want to go for the full two hours. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever do a two-hour show, you can take me out back and you know, put it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make this thing dark. We're not gonna turn the podcast dark, but no, I'm never, never gonna do a two-hour show. Uh, John, thanks so much, my man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dan. This is great. That was our buddy John Mo Sales making his first appearance here on Fantasy NBA Today. Good to talk to another person, get some thoughts on. Really, I mean, that's one of the the lessons that that I've brought up before. Uh, but he took, I thought, a different tack on it, kind of a different approach, and maybe a little bit less of a hard line approach than where I stand. Also, one thing I really liked about that conversation was John's willingness to admit that, like, he know there are times that you know something is not the right decision, and then we do it anyway because it's easy to get pulled in. 
try to get some more lessons learned for you guys from the rest of the folks here at Sports Ethos and from voices around the fantasy landscape. Let's get into tonight's playoff action a little bit. Yesterday, I mentioned that I thought the lines were really tight on the two basketball games, and I was quite right on one of them. Miami and Philly ended within about a bucket of the uh, the listed total. Posted total was 208. That game ended at 205. And it's very easy to just look back at it and say, oh, well, you know, Philly was terrible and Miami was great. But yeah, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, their efficiency numbers kind of canceled each other out. I would argue this game probably should have ticked over the posted total just by a little bit, like 210, 211. But I still stand by the the notion that odds makers know the pace of these games now. So you're wagering on whether or not you think teams are going to have good or bad shooting nights. And that, friends, is a coin flip. Phoenix did what I think most folks expected them to do, which was play a lot better at home. Chris Paul had 10 assists, but didn't even really need to do his closer stuff because DeAndre Ayton was better, Devin Booker was good, Mikel Bridges did more, and then at the end of it all, they just defended better. They basically said, look, like, Luka, you're going to be the focal point. We know that. And Jalen Brunson's going to be decent, but we can't, we can't let these other guys get nuts, like Dorian Finney-Smith. And I think Phoenix is starting to figure out kind of what they want to do But we're also being reminded this year, I mean, we got a little taste of it last season, but I think we were limited capacity playoff games, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't quite the same. This is like the first real max capacity, let's go nuts. People are ready to be a home court advantage again. Home court's been a big deal in a lot of these series. Not all of them, but quite a few. That game obviously went under because Dallas scored 80. And look, if Philly put up 85 and that game almost got to the over, a team scoring 80, it's going to be very hard to get there. 190 points, the final total there. Total, uh, the line was at 215. And I suppose it's worth pointing out that, you know, once again, the pace was slow. Um, This one should have gone under based on the pace of the game. And it did. Game six will be interesting. Game six will be interesting. And we'll get to that on tomorrow's podcast. Today, we got Milwaukee at Boston, Golden State at Memphis. Celtics by five and a half with a total of 213 points. Boston off that big comeback in Milwaukee. Game that went over, 224, the final score. Posted total was 213. And we got, you know, a little bit of what we expected. Although, actually, that ball game was a little bit slower than the previous games. But at the same time, uh, when you tally up the, pos- the number of possessions, again, you're talking about Milwaukee getting 94 shots up, 48 rebounds for the Bucks. Those are big numbers. Those are, even if you don't do all the math, you can see that the pace was pretty good for that ballgame. They had about 114 or so actual possessions. Boston, a couple fewer. They had four more turnovers, 10 fewer rebounds, but they made way more of their shots, and that's how they ended up winning the ballgame. Uh, free throws actually tipped ever so slightly in the Milwaukee favor. Boston had about 105 or so. So you're still looking at about 219 possessions. But one of the things that I'd like to remind everybody of is that if you go back to the first two games of this series in Boston, the speed of the games was much, much slower. 
the two Milwaukee games, the teams were looking at, you know, t- between 220, 230 kind of range in number of possessions. The games in Boston, which I think were way back on Tuesday the 3rd, Boston did put up 109 points, but they did it on about 98 possessions. They didn't have any, they didn't even have 100 possessions. Milwaukee had like 101 or something like that. So Boston really did a nice job of controlling the tempo in the games in Boston. 109-106 was the score of game two. First one, Milwaukee won 101-89. Very low-scoring games in Boston. Now, the number of possessions was a bit higher in game one, which is kind of always what you see. You kind of see the teams throw their fastballs. It's a little more loosey-goosey. Thing hasn't quite slowed down as much yet. You just saw really bad offense in that game. And really terrible offense does actually lead itself to a slightly faster ball game because you got all these rebounds and runouts, so the possessions don't last as long. But what we've seen here is that Boston wants the grinded out, difficult, defensive kind of ball game. So 213 is a more accurate number. The series in Boston have been or the games in Boston, I should say. First one, yeah, was more like 215, 220 range and went under because nobody could score. Second one was really more like, you know, 205 less, even 200 possessions. And I think Boston should be able to control the speed again on their home court. That's just the advantage you have. When your fans are behind you, you it's easier for guys to kind of play the way they want. You make a few extra shots. You feel good about yourself. You take some shots a little quicker. It's that kind of thing with Milwaukee. Um, 213 is a relatively low number. I think odds makers feel pretty good about this particular range. This last one, again, was at 213, and it went over. They didn't adjust it up at all because the venue change. It's a big deal. This is more the right number. Milwaukee needs to get this thing open. They need to open it up. I don't know if they can, though. Slightly into the under. Golden State Memphis, we saw a little bit of what that might look like without John Morant. Uh, Warriors barely hanging on. JJJ had another pretty good ball game, but didn't shoot all that well. Warriors also shot the ball poorly. And, you know, that does tend to happen a little bit as series mosey along. But again, from a straight possessions standpoint, that was a game that only had 199 points, but was actually played quite a bit faster than that final total would have indicated so that's why you're seeing this one still up at 219 despite the last game ending 20 points lower than that because the number of possessions was very very high 115 116 for memphis warriors 116 117 something like that so like 230 possessions it again inflated a bit by the fact that nobody could make a jumper but if you get a few more free throws Hell, if Memphis could actually make a few of their free throws, if the Warriors hit a couple more three-pointers, Jordan Poole maybe coming back to earth a little bit here? I don't know. We'll we'll see. There's a lot of ways that, from a speed standpoint, this game could actually get to the number for today's game. And so because I would look at the over, I'd probably just leave it alone. Memphis should be able to control the speed. They want to play fast. They don't have jaw, so they don't have that one guy, so they're going to want to get easy looks if they can get them. They're going to want to try to get guys open and take some three-pointers. They're going to use weird combinations of lineups and play extra hard and rotate bodies in, and it's going to be a whole thing that probably leads to a relatively quick game. 
So slightly to the under in the first one, slightly to the over in the second one. I'm not sure I go hard in on any of those. I'm still kind of waiting for that next big bubble for us to bet into. You know me, limited samples. Make my wagers when we have a big, puffy cushion to work with. Boston-Milwaukee, what's the cushion there? Six, seven points, not much on a total. Warriors-Grizz, same kind of thing. Pretty good numbers you're getting here later into these series. Game six is game sevens, depending on how many of those we get to. Uh, Warriors could wrap their, their series up. This is game five. Milwaukee-Boston, there will be a game six. We don't know if there's going to be a game seven. Uh, that's when you can start to really look to see what the numbers have been, what the pace has been, rolling into those games late in a series, and then how you can exploit it a little bit. And that is where we will put a pin or a cork or whatever you want to put, call it into this podcast. Once again, big thank you to John Mosales for hopping on here, giving us a lesson learned. A couple of them, actually, from a season gone by. Go check out his work, as well as all of the very, very good work from the Sports Ethos Pros over at sportsethos.com. Click on the premium tab because, folks, let me remind you, there's no such thing as a fantasy offseason, only a fantasy pre-draft season. Do go check out Fantasy MLB Today and Fantasy NFL Today, two free podcasts just like this one, available from our buddies at Sports Ethos. Uh, Joe Orico and JP Sticko in that order, I believe. Did I say baseball before football? I think I did. I forget. Regardless, uh, Joe is a baseball guy. JP's a football guy. Really excited about those two podcasts. Please go check them out. Do me that solid. And then go drop five-star reviews on them as well. You guys have all done that for me. Now I need you to do it for someone else. So if you've been like, Dan, I reviewed your podcast three years ago. I can't do it again. I got a new one for you. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. That's it. That's the end of the line. Off-season show number 23 in the books. 24 coming up tomorrow. Friday, we'll give a little playoff rehash. It's our playoff weekend edition stuff. Talk to you then.